Hi, Cherise here with a special announcement. You can now enjoy select episodes of Detailed in video form. That's right. Detailed is now available on RCAT's YouTube channel. Now, you may be thinking, I already listened to the podcast. No need to watch it on YouTube. Well, trust me, if you don't want to miss out, even if you're an avid listener of the podcast, the video format is a completely different experience. Not only is it like hanging out with us, but you also get to hear parts of the conversation that were left on the cutting room floor. You can also see the photos, drawings, and video as we discuss the incredible projects that are featured. Come join us on YouTube. Follow the link in our show notes, and let's get into the details. This is an original podcast by RCAT. Try the number one most used website for finding building product information and save time and money. No registration is required with RCAT, so try it today and get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. Visit RCAT.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. This is Detailed, an original podcast by RCAT. I am your host, Sharice Lakeside, Senior Specification Writer at RDH Building Science and fondly known as the CSI Kraken. We will speak with professionals who share their insights into the most complex, interesting, and odd building conditions and the ingenuity it took to make it work. Join me as I pull back the curtain on the building industry and uncover the lessons learned. You'll gain valuable knowledge to help you better navigate your next project. Welcome to Detailed. Today, I am happy to welcome Aaron Newbert, FAIA, founder and principal at ANX with offices in Los Angeles and Las Vegas. ANX is an architecture and design practice committed to orchestrating poetic relationships between form, landscape, light, and materiality, resulting in beautifully crafted buildings that amplify the human experience and advance stewardship of the natural environment. Aaron Newbert received a Master of Architecture degree from Columbia University's Graduate School of Architecture, Planning, and Preservation in 1997. He holds a Bachelor of Design degree, magna cum laude, from the University of Florida, where he studied art and architecture. Aaron's work utilizes landscape and light to enhance the human experience and advance environmentally sustainable practices. His work is continually cognizant of its impact focusing on maintaining a harmonious relationship with and between the environment, the local community, and his clients. The project we are going to talk about today is The Bunker in Studio City, California. The original Hanna-Barbera production studio is the site for this adaptive reuse transformation for a rising film production company's headquarters. Affectionately called The Bunker, by Hanna-Barbera employees for the windowless treatment of the one-story building, the company moved into the Cahuenga Boulevard property in 1960, while the Flintstones was beginning production. Yabba-dabba-doo! The client, expressing great respect to the original tenant, desired an environment where ideas could be easily exchanged, 
one that fostered a culture of open and egalitarian team collaboration, and a solution that accommodated traditional private office and essential creative content workspaces. The primary challenge was converting the hermetically sealed former animation studio into a naturally illuminated, professional, yet domestically scaled office environment, while addressing the technical challenges of a forward-thinking film production facility. Paying homage to the project's history, ANX's solution opted to reuse the entirety of the existing structure. They exposed the roof trusses and the masonry block walls within the communal spaces while introducing sound, isolated private offices around the perimeter. Within the communal spaces, they created numerous co-working and socialization zones, expanding the domestic nature of the space. Expanding the boundaries of design, both technically and aesthetically, ANX's space planning, material selection, and architectural detailing introduces a refined yet domestic scale to the office. You can see additional project details on the podcast homepage at details. How are you today? Podcast. Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. So tell me about this building. Tell me about this project. What's the story? So we were approached by a uh, TV and film production company. They had acquired this building and they were looking to turn it into their, you know, operations center, offices, creative offices and editing rooms and things of that nature. They had known from the beginning that it was Hanna-Barbera's building at some point. And so, you know, as we started doing research, um, one of our clients tracked down, I believe it was a Life magazine story from maybe the 70s or what have you. So it had pretty interesting documentation of what had been created there, both drawing and sort of um, script-wise and things of that nature. And um, I think you pointed out the Flintstones, the Jetsons, Space Ghost, Scooby-Doo, a number of these sort of iconic cartoons that I grew up watching as a kid. And so from a historical perspective, maybe the building wasn't iconic in and of itself. It was an interesting industrial building, but there was sort of a um, spiritual, if you will, history to it and story. And so that was something that was important to all of us in some way to maintain that. The second part was obviously the this new creative group moving in had a different agenda and a different way of working. And um, we were looking to find a method to sort of maintain the spirit of the original tenant in the building and then also overlay the interest and the sort of aesthetic of the of the new tenant. And so kind of merging those two was sort of the main goal and something that we um, sort of struggled with throughout the process. Those cartoons were the fabric of my youth. Yeah. I mean, Saturday mornings, don't look at me, don't talk to me. Hanna-Barbera is on and Scooby-Doo is just the cutest thing ever. So I appreciate that you considered that history. So tell me about the the actual building itself. Um, Tell me about some of the spaces, the stats. I would imagine a production studio has got some unique spaces. Yeah, definitely. So in in many ways, um, it's a traditional creative office space. And then there's an overlay of technical elements um, related to the 
production and viewing of, of film. Uh, so the existing building and what was maintained is just under 8,000 square feet. The lot size is around 20,000 square feet. Programmatically in the building, there are shared kind of open workspace, so kind of traditional creative office. There is some kind of sitting lounge type uh, spaces. There are a number of, I think, 20 odd private offices. And there are four different conference rooms at different sizes. Additionally, there are a number of edit rooms, which are highly controlled. And then there's a screening room as well. So those are sort of the main programmatic elements. As you kind of enter the building from the parking lot, you're sort of confronted by entry, a lounge kitchen space, and then that grows into the communal collaborative office conditions. And then along the perimeter, you have the more traditional private offices that sort of look out into the uh, communal space. I imagine you had to get some kind of AV consultant involved for these screening rooms and editing rooms. Definitely the um, screening room, the edit rooms. We've worked on a number of recording studios and things of that nature. So we had some technical experience with that. The original offices had an auxiliary building. This is Chris Bodel, VP of Project Development at Rayum Richardson. Chris provided additional insight into the construction process. The new owner wanted to turn that into a screening room. So we dug down about three feet and waterproofed around um, and then raised the roof another three feet to be able to really encapsulate because, you know, the original building wasn't built for screening, so it wasn't really sound tight. So we had to build a sound encapsulated room inside the existing structure. In order to make it standard, we insulated the walls uh, double drywall all the way around, uh, and then floated ceiling and floated walls. They don't do any actual production there, correct? No, it's um, only editing. So, okay. yeah, editing in the screening room is really just to share what they're what they're working on and things of that nature. Okay, was it occupied before? It it had been occupied uh, when we took possession, if you will. It was completely vacant, so there were really only two restrooms that were built within, but it was an empty shell. Uh, you could see the exposed trusses, um, existing brick or masonry walls, essentially a vacant a vacant space. Now, a lot of those kinds of features are things people are now, you know, and have been for some time wanting to leave exposed. Yeah, most definitely. And that's what we did here, right? We sort of kept essentially everything that we were presented. We polished the floor and painted the walls and things of that nature, but essentially that overall structure was, in our mind, the, the sort of memory of the original tenant and how the space was when they were occupying it. So what were some of the design challenges you faced in taking you know, what was there and turning it into all the different spaces that you needed to? You know, I would say one of the main or most interesting design challenge was reconciling a lot of the interests of our client. They purchased what was a hermetically sealed building. There was really um, one pretty small glass storefront at the corner, which was the original entry to the building. 
And aside from that, there was zero natural light. In our research, uh, we found the Hanna-Barbera employees at the time named the building the bunker uh, for this <laughs> reason. Um, you know, it was really a completely internalized experience. And so our client was interested in having an office with just flooded with natural light, yet they bought a building that was... It didn't <laughs> had, have any windows. Didn't have any <laughs> windows. So we're like, okay. So that was, you know, that was one condition. The other, well, they wanted natural light and to be connected to the environment in some way. They're just by the nature of what they do, they were very private. So they really didn't want any acknowledgement that they existed from the street. And so essentially as you drive by, it's just a concrete wall. You know, we're trying to reconcile how do you take this bunker, this black box and bring in tons of natural light while also not exposing what's happening inside. And so, you know, that was a unique challenge. Um, what we, we also had a very delicate, the existing building due to when it was constructed and how it was constructed was pretty delicate. So cutting openings and slicing into it was a precarious proposition to start. Yeah, with existing structures like this, it's always difficult because you're essentially repurposing the building for something that it wasn't built for. Um, and a good example of that was we needed a lot more light in this building um, and Aaron needed a lot more light for the incoming tenant. And rather than really redesigning the structure and having to add a lot more strengthening, what we did is we put 20 or 30 small skylights throughout the building, which worked within the existing um, membrane of the roof and we didn't require any structural upgrade. You know, we did some tests where we actually opened up the roof and the client said, more skylights, more skylights. So we kept, you know, <laughs> sort of cutting and testing in real time until until they were sort of uh, satisfied. What's interesting is not only are you getting natural light, but throughout the course of the day, the shadows really change because of the, the number and the disbursement of the skylights throughout the roof. So it's a, it connects you to that exterior wor world, if you will without being exposed. So I'm hearing you say 20 or 30 skylights and I almost want to start twitching. <laughs> um, and all I'm thinking about is all of these openings in the yeah. roof and the transitions. And I mean, you know, cause I mean, that's what my firm does is we want to make that building as tight, moisture free and, and energy efficient as possible. And I thought you'd say skylights when you said you had to bring light in the building. I expected to hear skylights. Yeah. Did not expect to hear 20 or 30 skylights. <laughs> so, and I don't know that I've ever worked on a project with that many skylights. So tell me what you did with your roof. For this, we use Velux uh, skylights, which is a pretty well-engineered product. And they all can be ordered with kind of an integral curb. So from a skylight perspective, this is a tried and true product. So that was sort of handled by the manufacturer. The roof itself, I'm sure you've seen many bowstring or similar type roofs. It had a substantial pitch, which is a you know a positive. And then essentially the old roof was taken down and a uh, membrane roof was applied. So these are, I think it was a three-layer roof system that was added to that. And obviously the flashing and the skylights neatly integrates with the roof. So from that perspective, we were fine. The biggest challenge was really 
conveying what water did pond on the roof outside of this masonry building. Fortunately, we had access to the entire ceiling, so a number of roof drains were integrated in that reconstruction of the roof. And so far, you know, that's um, we haven't gotten any calls from the clients. So I think we're good in that regard. The main storage room of the um, where they you know keep their films, they're obviously very concerned about the security of that space. But we had a, a lot of conversations about what if that was the room that flooded. Part of the problem when you're working with these old buildings is the building doesn't really play ball, and they had to move their server room under an existing roof drain. Uh, now, existing roof drains are pretty safe, but just in the off chance that it did get backed up and did overflow, we wanted to ensure that the, the server room was protected. So we built literally a, a, a metal flashing over the entire server room under the roof. To repitch the roof away from that corner would probably have cost a lot more than putting a flashing over the server room to ensure that come hell or high water, it didn't get wet. Kind of a quirky solution, but... It brought great peace, if you will, to the client because really all of their films are housed in in this one space. Um, so there, there are certainly you know high tech and low tech solutions that come into play, you know, throughout the execution of a project like this. That's actually a really genius solution. Did you keep all that brick exposed in the inside? Yeah, correct. So all the brick is exposed. We looked at a number of things during construction. So treatments to the uh, to the brick and things of that nature. But in the end, the sample of just painting, cleaning and painting the brick really looked the best and also maintained the existing condition more substantially. So we ended up keeping it, you know, just as a painted finish. Any unique materials that you used on this project or not unique materials that you used in a unique way that somebody would go, oh, that's really cool. I want to try that. Well, I mean, I would say in in the grand scheme of things, maybe more of a straightforward application throughout the building. And it sort of speaks to the nature of the owner's business. Um, We took a sort of standard linear LED light and installed it in a way that was to evoke uh, time, if you will. So if you look at the, the ceiling layout, all of the lights have a minute and an hour hand, you know, suggesting time and kind of speaking to, you know, the narrative film and whatnot. So that's something that, you know, we could have installed it on a grid or kind of linear, but we sort of paired these to, to kind of subtly key into what's happening in the space. What else did we do? Um, you know, we have a kind of interesting uh pivot door at the entry. And so some of that hardware, uh, that large pivot door hardware is pretty interesting. Just you have a door that takes 10 men to lift, yet (laughs) this tiny little box on the floor allows it to move whisper smooth. So in the editing rooms, there's a lot of technical components. So the kind of acoustical doors are pretty interesting the layers and the sort of dropping sill and things of that nature are unique products, but sort of invisible stuff that you, you don't see, but you stand outside the door, they close the door and they blast the latest movie they're working on. And you can't hear a peep through that door. There's nothing. And so 
I think those are pretty interesting technical kind of elements that are that are required or desired. So this building was built in the 50s. Correct. And you're putting a production studio. So we're talking, you know, high tech, more than in your average office building, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably, probably, I'm sure, pretty out of date electrical and mechanical systems. I imagine some of that could have been delicate or expensive even to deal with to get it, you know, up to speed or had it been updated somewhere along the way that it wasn't all that bad. Before the building sold to our client, all of the electrical panels were upgraded. So coming into the space, we had sufficient power for what our client needed. You know, there was great planning and conversation about data transfer from where their servers, where they're essentially storing their films and where right. the edit bays are and the screening room. And so there were a series of sort of electrical channels that were suspended throughout the space. We couldn't really trench through the slab it, when it would be technically challenging and then inefficient. So, But we had this huge open ceiling. So right. essentially the infrastructure was accommodated in the ceiling. So you have a number of raceways that are brought really throughout the building. So that was definitely uh, an important conversation uh, that was had. Um, looking back on your your process and your solutions in the path that you went through on this project, what did you learn from this project that you would probably maybe right out of the shoot do differently next time or just flat out do differently? You know, it's funny with this one, the client and then the client rep who we've worked on other projects and the contractor, we were all on board from the beginning. And so that was a a huge advantage because you're able to talk about lessons learned from previous projects with the client, ones they weren't necessarily involved with, but the rest of the team was involved with. You're able to discuss kind of technical solutions that either the contractor we've tested and things that have worked and failed. We're able to take the client to various projects that the team had worked on. So in a way, those lessons were pre-learned and applied to the solution. I'll say the um, while we toured the client's existing workspace, I would say the team can always probe what they really want out of the space, even more so. And so those are definitely questions and conversations we have. I think in any design process, everyone gets really excited when we bring a drawing or we bring a rendering and things of that nature. So to really mining what it is about those documents that the client's excited about and really trying to get the whole team to understand it. Well, I think this project was super successful in not having a lot of negative feedback loops and changes and things like that along the way. If you compare some of the final design images and the where the project ended, it was very similar. But I think there were definitely some moments here or there where if we all maybe paused and understood kind of what their intentions were or what their needs were, we could have alleviated some of those learning moments in the project. But I, I think that's always going to be the case, you know, if you're listening as you go. 
Yeah. Well, another common theme I'm getting more and more of is this whole integrated project delivery kind of method. But I'm seeing more and more normal size projects, sometimes even smaller projects that have some, it may not be full IPD, but some level of that process that really seems to, when I talk to the architects or the contractors that are working on a project where, where there's voices are at the table early, I seem to hear a, about a lot less issues, both during design and construction. Um, and I love that you guys went out and to, you know looked at other facilities, not just your client's current facility, but looked at other buildings to kind of really understand that vibe of how they work in a space like that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny, maybe when I was a Earlier in my career, I think I might have been, I don't want to say intimidated, but I didn't want to come across that I was still learning, if you will, and and out of fear that I might be exposed. (laughs) And because a lot of the projects we were taking on, we maybe we studied and we researched and maybe some, my team and I had worked on to some degree. But we were definitely pursuing and still are pursuing projects that we, you know, we don't have 20 that we've completed or what have you, or 30 or whatever it might be. Um, So we're, you know, we're ambitious and looking for other opportunities. But now I've come to the point where, and I think you touch on this, having, it's, it's a stronger position to, you know, have, have a team that is bringing knowledge to the project and presenting ideas. And then your goal or your role is to be maybe the leader in how to stitch together those voices. And I do it with my team and I try to do it with consultants and contractors and the clients. There are so many voices and contributions that the whole team can make. And we have to find a way to weave these into a strong narrative and a coherent process. And um, we definitely can't be and really aren't the owner of all the knowledge, right? We are, you know, in my opinion, you know, our strength is to be a leader in how to bring all of these voices to the table and sort of make it a coherent uh, solution and a coherent product. I think we all have one or two events that have happened in our career at some point, maybe when we were younger, maybe last week, that really kind of changed our outlook on our industry or changed the way we worked or made us or humbled us or made us pivot in how we were approaching our careers. Can you think of something that happened in your career that really made you stop and go, okay, the path has to change or the mindset has to change? Yeah. I can think of a lot of moments. One that is probably really important to how I practice and the practice in general. We've completed a lot of single family homes over the years, and we still do a fair amount of that work. But we had a client years ago that for whatever reason, I think they weren't happy. They weren't happy with the where the project was going. And I think I realized that maybe they just weren't happy. And maybe it wasn't about us per se. It was just in general, like they were never going to be happy. And it got to a moment I realized we really, you know, our goal is to, is really to make a great project, but to make a a rewarding process for everyone involved. 
and um, the process in this industry is a is almost as important as that that final product. I think I got to a point where I was really at a loss. I'd, I'd never been in this situation where I just didn't know how we were going to go on. So therefore, I reached out to my attorney and asked him, how does one extricate themselves from this situation? And he asked, are you owed any money? And I said, yes, but you know, it's not my major concern. I said, really, while this is a business, you know, it's it's a passion. It's something we all we want to enjoy. And he said he'd take care of it. And I said, okay. He said he'd write a letter. And the project, you know, went away. And I wish this client happiness and hope it worked out for them. So that was a maybe a very problematic and stressful and unhappy situation. But I think what I I walked away moving from a point in my career where we were so excited to be commissioned to make architecture and to design and and that we were compensated for it. And that was great. But I got to a point where maybe that wasn't enough. Like I wanted to have some control um, over who we worked with and and how we worked. And I think that was a critical point for me that I decided that, you know, it had to be mutually beneficial for both us and for our clients. And and I think in general, the practice of architecture has been much more rewarding. When I went into an interview, as much interviewing the client as being interviewed by the client, and also being in a situation where I could say to someone, you know, in a respectful way, this isn't a great fit. We're not the right architect for you for whatever reason. And so to be empowered to have some ownership in that process, I think was really important. So I would say, you know, for both employees that we're interviewing, I think that's a conversation I like to have that it's really a good fit for them, you know, and for clients, it's really a good fit. And for consultants, you know, it's a good fit. So kind of going back to earlier parts of our conversation about building the right team, I think it's so important and it's obviously tricky to do, but projects are long. And so having a team that can be honest and and fair is just so important. So yeah, I would say that was probably like a critical threshold in the practice that I kind of look back to. I love that story. You know, again, I've been around for a while and I've seen a lot of projects and I've seen those situations. I think that's a, a valuable lesson that some people never learn. Well, it's funny. I, I think it's related. I had um, I had an interview for a house a few weeks ago and I finished the interview and the client left. I kind of went into my office and just sort of reflected on how I'd managed it. And I was definitely very distracted prior to the interview and didn't do my homework and kind of get in a good frame of mind. And it was probably the worst interview because upon reflection, I'm like, what did I, I didn't ask him anything. I didn't learn anything. All I did was talk about what we've done and myself. And it's like, I, they are never going to call us back because I didn't do what we do well, which is ask questions and sort of educate ourselves about what their interests were and what have you. It was all about 
it was all about me or what project we had completed or what have you. And it was, you know, those situations kind of cut both ways, but you, you just have to kind of move on and reflect. And I, I think that's something, you know, the more work you do and the more projects that get realized or recognized or what have you, you have to remember that anyone coming to talk to you has a choice as well. In the same way I'm saying, you know, as architects, we have a choice to work with someone all of these people have, especially in, you know, design heavy city like Los Angeles, there are so many talented architects and teams. You have to stay humble, I guess, and true to why you're doing it or what have you. And so it was unfortunate. It was a really nice project, but I don't, I don't know if I had a realistic chance, but I definitely blew the, <laughs> I blew the but, interview and, you know, you move on. So maybe you should send this podcast to the client. <laughs> exactly. Um, because I mean, y- you know, as well as I do, architects have some serious bad reps when it comes to ego. Yeah. And I think a lot, not all, but a good chunk of that is overblown or unfounded because I know a lot of amazing architects. But just the fact that you have the self-awareness enough to have had that interview, then gone and reflected and went, that's not really how I wanted it to be. And then just sit here and tell me about it in my Almost fifty thousand unique oh, listeners. Oh no! I thought this was a private conversation. I didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I. But I. I think that's that alone says a lot for a person. None of us are ever going to be perfect. Yeah. Where yeah. we make mistakes all the time. We do things better on some days than we do on others. That's just human nature. It's but that you're constantly looking at what you did or how you did something or and and are aware of it and looking to how you're going to do it differently or better next time. That's really the key. So final question. Oh my gosh, I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> what is your personal world domination statement? Personal or professional, what mark do you as an individual, large or small, hope to leave on this world? Oh my gosh. Wow. So my wife and I love going to weddings and primarily because it's an opportunity to dance poorly, right? So right. absolutely. <laughs> I think my my impact on the world it might be bad wedding dancing. I don't know. So I'm, maybe that's not a good answer. So maybe I should back up. There from is there. no right or wrong. <laughs> there is no right or wrong answer. And I think that answer says a lot more than just bad <laughs> wedding dancing. No, I think I think in general, I think we were just talking about this. Um, how can we be passionate and committed to our work and still be human and humane. And so if, you know, I don't have a huge practice, but we've completed a lot of, you know, what I feel are important small buildings. And I think we've had good relationships with our clients and the people involved. So this is the profession I've chosen and to be able to kind of leave a legacy of a decent person making some nice buildings, you know, I would be pretty happy with that. I like the idea that my children drive around Los Angeles and, you know, they pass by some buildings that their father worked on. I I think that's kind of, um, you know, I'd love to do more and, um, and we're going to keep pushing, but I think it's nice to have left an impact on the city that I love. Absolutely. And fun fact, just as an aside, about three or four years ago, I got ordained 
just so I could perform weddings. Oh, nice. Just for friends. Not, you know, right. I'm, I'm not like on Craigslist, you can't call up and hire me, but yeah. just to be a part of people's special. I mean, who has a bad time at a wedding? Except for maybe a stressed out bride on occasion, yeah. but maybe if you're paying for the wedding, maybe it's maybe that's uh... <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I was smart and had boys, and I so far have not had to pay for there anybody's you go. wedding. There you go. Thank you so much. Oh, it's a my lovely pleasure. conversation. It sounds like a cool building. I'm in LA every once in a blue moon, so I'd love to stop by your offices and a, say hi give me or a call check it and out. We'll, uh, we'll meet up. I'd love to show it to you. Absolutely. I want to. I want to meet Scooby Doo though. Can you? Can you arrange that? <laughs> I I do have his number on speed dial, so okay. we'll uh, okay, we'll see if he we'll see if he answers. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more, visit rcat.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. While you're there, take a look around rcat.com. For over 30 years, rcat has been the resource for AEC professionals to find the right products for their project. Try rcat and see how their tools can save you time and money and help you get ahead on your next project. Visit rcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot If you enjoyed the show, you can support us by subscribing, leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing this with your friends. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back to share more stories and lessons learned to help you navigate your next project.